1: the Q3 Fiscal 2021 Financial Results Conference Call for the HLS Therapeutics. On this morning's call, we have Gilbert Godin, Chief Executive Officer, and Tim Hendrickson, Chief Financial Officer. At this time, all participants are in a listening mode. Following the management's presentation, we will c- conduct a question and answer session, during which analysts are invited to ask questions to ask a question, please press star one on your touchstone phone to register. Did you require any assistance during the call? Please press star with a zero. Earlier this morning, HLS issued a news release announcing its financial results for the three and nine month periods ended September 30, 2021. This news release, along with the company's MD&A, And financial statements will be available on HLS's website and on the CEDAR. Please note that slides accompanying today's call can be viewed via webcast, a link of which is available in the company's earnings press release and at its website on the events page. Certain matters discussed in today's conference call or answers that may be given to questions could constitute forward-looking statements. Actual results could differ materially from those anticipated. Risk factors that could affect results are detailed in the company's annual information form, which have been filed on the CDAR at www.cdar.com. During this conference call, HLS will refer to adjusted EBITDA. Adjusted EBITDA does, have, does not have any standardized meaning prescribed by IFRS. Adjusted EBITDA is defined in the company's press release and annual filings that are available on CDAR and on the company's website. Please note that all financial information provided in the U.S. dollars, unless otherwise specified. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Goudet. Please go ahead, sir.
2: Thank you, Kelsey, and good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us. On our call today, I will start off with a review of uh, operational highlights. Tim will follow with a more detailed look at our financial results, and then we will hold a Q&A session. Q3 was uh, another quarter of growth driven by strength and resilience with our foundational products, as well as growing contribution from VSEPA. Q3 revenues was $15.1 million, up 15% versus a year ago. Adjusted EBITDA was $6.9 million, up 53% from a year ago. And cash from operations was $3.6 million, up 50% from a year ago. These are very satisfying numbers in a challenging environment and reflect our push for growth while keeping an eye on expenses. We continue to make um, uh, important operational progress with Visipa, despite the impact of the COVID-19 Delta variant, which we believe has slowed the effect of the market reopening as in-person patient-physician interactions stayed well below pre-pandemic norms. Encouragingly, the percentage of patient physician visits that are taking place in person is growing again, and top health officials in Canada's largest provincial jurisdiction are publicly urging physicians to increase their face-to-face interactions. We believe this call to action will serve as a catalyst for Visipa, as a recent study found that physicians are 50% more comfortable initiating new therapies in a face-to-face setting versus virtual communications. I will look at the reopening, along with other key catalysts for VISIPA shortly, but first I would like to spend a few minutes on the key highlight of the quarter. Starting with VISIPA, on August 16th, we announced a promotion agreement with Pfizer for VISIPA in Canada. Under the agreement, Pfizer will deploy a team of 66 sales associates across Canada to educate and efficiently expand the level of awareness of VASIPA amongst primary care physicians. Their team will complement HLS's own team of field personnel and support staff who have been and will continue to be principally focused on the specialist physician audience. I would like to draw your attention to the slides accompanying the call today, the first of which gives you a visual representation of the Salesforce expansion we're speaking of. We expect the partnership will accelerate bringing VSEPA to a broader market while preserving its financial upside. It will provide for a more than threefold increase in the number of reps detailing VSEPA. And at steady state, it will increase our physician coverage by more than fourfold. This partnership also signals a validation pro- for the product from a well-respected partner with a strong commitment to the cardiovascular space. We believe VesiPA has the potential to improve the lives of the many Canadians suffering from or at risk of cardiovascular disease and we're excited to collaborate with Pfizer to bring this innovative therapy to those in need. Pfizer has stellar credentials in the area of cardiovascular therapies, as well as a strong track record of successful partnerships, including one recently behind the success of Eliquis. A mere four weeks after the announcement, toward the end of September, Pfizer reps began detailing Visipa, And we expect this to be an important factor in our future growth. The next slide shows the VSEPA prescription uptake curve through the end of the third quarter. There are two takeaways, two key takeaways from the graph on this slide. The first is that it shows the steadiness of the growth in scripts that we have generated since launch, despite being very restricted in our interactions with physicians during the pandemic. The number of patients, prescribers, and prescriptions related to Visipa all continue to increase at a solid rate sequentially. Compared to Q2, despite quieter summer months for July and August, the quarter-to-quarter weekly scripts grew 25%, the number of patients grew 23% to more than 5,000, and the number of prescribers grew 30% to approximately 1,400. Second, we believe that being included in the treatment guidelines from the Canadian Cardiovascular Society, Heart and Stroke Foundation, and Thrombosis Canada is becoming foundational and will continue to gain in recognition and benefit as we broaden their dissemination with the larger sales representation in the field. We expect to see a steady trend upwards and greater impact from both factors here in Q4 and into 2022. We have spoken previously of five catalysts noted on the right-hand side of the slide, which we believe are essential components in reaching a steep growth curve for Vesipa, This inflection point is typically encountered in successful launches when all of the key catalysts come together. In terms of these five catalysts, earlier in the year, we have achieved reimbursement coverage with firms representing more than 90% of privately covered lives in Canada. And since March, CEPA is now part of the recommended treatment guidelines for three of Canada's most respected organizations in the field of cardiovascular health. Thirdly, as just discussed, we announced the conclusion of a partnership agreement with Pfizer resulting in a three-fold sales force expansion. Although evanescent at times, the fourth catalyst hinges on COVID-19related restrictions, continuing to ease was slower than we anticipated at the end of Q2. The trend is in the right direction, and since vaccine adoption in Canada has been strong, with 73% of all Canadians now fully vaccinated, including 83% of people 12 and older, Canada sets a strong foundation for a return to a more normal social and healthcare environment. As mentioned earlier, In-person interactions between patients and physicians are increasing but remain relatively low. As reported by the Office of Canada's Health Minister, only 56% of all physician visits in the month of July were face-to-face. In-person meetings are an important factor as physicians are 50% more comfortable initiating new therapies via in-person consultation versus a virtual consultation. This is a contributing factor explaining why the overall Canadian prescription market went from a four to 6% growth rate pre-pandemic to a flat then negative rate of growth in the past three quarters. So while this has slowed us down, the recent trend that our lead indicators are going in the right direction. Canada has a well vaccinated population and health officials are taking the bold step to publicly encourage physician to increase in-person interaction. As they do so, we believe this will provide fertile ground for the education and the adoption of VSEFA. The final catalyst on the list is public market access. And as the last catalyst, it is getting a lot of attention from our stakeholders. The questions we are asked most frequently by investors these days are, what is the status of your public market access negotiation with the PCPA? What are the potential outcomes of those negotiations? And when will it be done? Let me remind you, from the start, we have said that we must respect the process laid out by the PCPA. And one of those principles is that these discussions are confidential. What I can tell you is that we are negotiating with an organization representing a large group of stakeholders, all 10 provinces. And given that Visipa is not only a new drug but a new class of drug, we knew, we figured all along that negotiation could be long and arduous because there are no beaten path or pre-existing business cases to follow. What I can also tell you or repeat because we said it before is that it is not unheard of for some products to take up to 30 months to gain public reimbursement but we think our negotiations could likely take 18 to 24 months given the SEPA's clinical profile and the fact that it was a subject of a priority review. And that remains our aim. We are currently at 20 months and working hard at it. As to potential outcomes. Foremost is concluding an agreement with the PCPA covering all ten provinces. That is certainly the goal here for us. This said, and since we're asked about it, the PCPA process can also result in different outcomes involving a subset of provinces or creating circumstances where provinces could engage individually in a negotiation. But I want to make it clear again that while there are different paths possible, our efforts are aimed at universal access. PASIPA was subject to a priority review by Health Canada. It has strong clinical data supporting it. It is included in the treatment guidelines of Canadian and renowned international medical society, and it is backed by solid pharmacoeconomic data regarding its contribution to the healthcare system. Visipa has the potential to deliver significant benefit to the many Canadians suffering from cardiovascular disease. Ultimately, we believe that Visipa should be made available to Canadians just as other drugs for other ailments that procure a similar benefit are made available. With that, I would like to take a look now at developments with other products in our portfolio. Looking first at Closaryl. Like the mature product that it is, Closaryl continues to deliver steady financial performance and for the full year-to-date period, the number of patients in the therapy has increased by 3%. It's important to underline that while that growth rate is modest, We have grown our market share a little bit during that time, which is reflecting the strong competitive position of the product and the CSAN support network. Here again, as pandemic restrictions continue to ease and in-person interaction increase, we expect new patient access to the treatment should improve. CSAN Pronto, our point-of-care safety blood monitoring device that addresses frequent traditional blood draws for safety monitoring, the biggest barrier to clozapine adoption is also expected to help improve patient access to closerol. 51 CSAN Pronto devices have now been deployed with recent devices implemented in some of the larger institutions that were difficult to reach during the height of the pandemic. Feedback to date on the Pronto device remains positive, And our deployment strategy in the coming quarters is to continue focusing on the larger institutions. Regarding our MyCare Therapeutic Drug Monitoring, or TDM, we will be introducing the product to the market this month. MyCare TDM runs on existing lab analyzers to accurately measure the patient drug levels for six of the most common antipsychotics used to treat schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Using such a test to measure the blood level for common antipsychotic drugs could provide information to help physicians determine if a patient is taking their medication or if optimal drug concentrations are being achieved and ultimately whether the proper therapy is being pursued. It is complementary product within our CNS franchise. With Perceris, now that the patient environment is starting to stabilize, we have begun pre-launch activities and expect to introduce the product in the first quarter of 2022. Perceris is the first once-monthly subcutaneous risperidone containing long-acting injectable indicated for the treatment of schizophrenia in adults. Perceris reflects our further commitment to the CNS therapeutic area, it allows us to directly leverage our existing commercial infrastructure, relationships, and reach in the Canadian psychiatric market while delivering a new clinically meaningful therapeutic option for patients with schizophrenia. With that, I will now turn it over for Tim to Tim for a closer look at our third quarter financials. Tim.
3: Thank you, Gilbert, and good morning, everyone. I will start with revenues and product sales. Revenue for Q3 was $15.1 million, up 15% from Q3 last year. Revenue increased primarily due to higher sales from Visipa, higher royalty revenue, positive developments in our Clonzerow franchise, and the year-over-year rebound of the Canadian dollar from its lows experienced early in the pandemic last year. On a sequential quarterly basis, it was another solid quarter of sales growth for Visipa, with sales growing 33% from Q2. In addition to the continued growth of the FACIPA franchise in terms of prescribers, patients, and prescriptions, FACIPA's sequential net sales growth also benefited from continuing trending down of the CIPA Assistance Plan subsidies following achievement of broad private insurance coverage. There was also some additional wholesale inventory purchasing in the quarter in anticipation of expanded physician coverage for FACIPA following the announcement of the promotional agreement with Pfizer. As Gilbert mentioned, Closero remains a steady and reliable revenue generator for the business, and the number of Closero patients in Canada through Q3 increased by 3% annually, which is up from a 2% growth rate last year. Royalty revenue from the diversified portfolio of royalty interests acquired last year was $2.2 million in Q3, up from the $1.8 million of royalty revenue in Q3 last year that was based on sales of Absorica in the U.S. market. HLS terminated its ownership of the Zorica Marketing Rights, effective December 31, 2020. So far in the 2021 year-to-date period, the portfolio of royalty interest has generated $6.9 million of revenue, comparing favorably with the $8.4 million of royalties for the four quarters prior to acquisition by HLS. Shifting now to expenses, Q3 operating expenses were down 5% from Q3 last year, the decrease was do- due to lower GNA, which was offset in part by higher cost of product sales related to the growth in sales of VSEPA and higher VSEPA selling and marketing costs. These higher VSEPA selling and marketing costs include the initial expenses as part of the Pfizer promotional agreement, but these amounts were very small in Q3 2021 given the start of activities only very late in the quarter. Adjusted EBITDA in Q3 was $6.9 million an increase of 53% from Q3 last year and resulting in year-to-date adjusted EBITDA of $20.2 million, up 31% from year ago. These increases were due primarily to higher sales of the SIPA and higher royalty revenues, along with the one-time retirement costs in Q3 2020, which were partially offset by this year's increase in cost of product sales related to the growth of the SIPA, as well as higher SIPA selling and marketing activities. Cash generated from operations was $3.6 million in Q3 compared to $2.4 million in Q3 a year ago. On a year-to-date basis, this year's cash generated from operations is $12.5 million compared to just $3.5 million in the same nine-month period last year. Sustained adjusted EBITDA and cash from operations have supported continuing deleveraging. Year-to-date, $7.5 million of principal has been repaid on the senior secured loan bringing the outstanding balance to $100.1 million, which is supported by increasingly diversified operational results. Overall, we continue to have a strong financial position with $21.7 million of cash and cash equivalents, a $35 million revolving facility that remains undrawn as of today, and under the terms of our existing credit agreement, we are also able to request incremental loans up to a maximum amount of $70 million to support acquisitions and other growth opportunities. In addition, in 2020, we filed a preliminary short-form base-shelf prospectus to raise up to Canadian $250 million that remains available to us should the appropriate strategic opportunity emerge. We also announced with our Q3 earnings a renewal of our normal course issuer bid. From time to time, the value of our shares in the public market may provide the opportunity to acquire stock at prices that we do not believe reflect the true underlying value of the business. We've put in place the NCIB to enable us to take advantage of these opportunities. Under the terms of the NCIB, we are permitted to acquire up to 5% of our issued and outstanding common shares over the ensuing 12 period, which would equate to just over 1.6 million shares. And finally, yesterday the Board of Directors declared that the subsequent quarterly dividend of Canadian 5 cents per outstanding common share is to be paid on March 15, 2022 to shareholders of record as of January 28, 2022. With that, I'll pass it back to you, Zoubert, for his closing comments.
2: Thank you, Tim. Uh, As we noted on our last call, we understand that some observers may be a bit tired to hear about the impact of COVID-19 on our rollout and performance in general, and trust me, uh, so are we. But uh, while rooted in the day-to-day reality, we continue to believe that the environment is improving and that important progress is being made to help grow Visipa faster and larger. Visipa seeks to address a large and critically unmet need in the market. It's a first in its class therapy and one that has the potential to assist thousands of Canadians in their battle against cardiovascular disease, which remains the number one, the world's number one killer. With three of the five growth catalysts in place, the pandemic restrictions easing progressively, and the efforts being made to gain public reimbursement, we remain confident in the long-term potential of the product and in our peak year as sales estimate for it. The trend forward is upward, as evidenced by the sequential growth in the number of patients, prescribers, and prescription. We are staying focused on the things that we can control or influence, and on not getting distracted from the end goal. While the effect of the pandemic is real, significant, and has slowed us down, it doesn't change the fact that the need for cardiovascular risk reduction remains immense, that Vsepa is the first and the only solution for our patients, and therefore the Vsepa potential remains unchanged. That concludes my prepared remarks. At this point, I will ask uh, Kelsey, the operator, to please provide instructions for asking a question. Kelsey.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the one on your touch tone phone. You'll hear a three tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be polled in the order that they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press the star followed by the two. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. One moment, please, for your first question. Your first question does come from Noel Adikasin from Clara Securities. Please go ahead.
4: Hi. Good morning, Gilbert and Tim. Uh, Well done in Q3, and thanks for taking our questions this morning. Um, First off, just on the the Pfizer sales force. So uh, out of the gate here, uh, over the last sort of six weeks or so, how many doctors were the sales force targeting in this sort of initial rollout
2: phase? Uh, we'll give you general numbers here, recognizing that those numbers grow over time, right? Well, yep. when, when adoptions have been called upon and, and uh, at the regular rate, uh, eventually that target gets broadened. But uh, notionally here, you can think in terms of uh, you know, at steady state, we will go from what would have been probably close to 3,000 doctors, to now a new height of about 12,000 for the time being. It's a little lower than that because we're in the introductory phase here, and, and we're focusing on a slightly narrower audience on a per-territory basis. So let's say uh, right now 2,500 augmented by another 7,500, but at maturity, that total will, will be closer if not exceeding 12,000 doctors.
4: Do you have any insight? I know we're talking Q4, not Q3, but uh, do you have any insight in terms of how their their detailing has been going? Have they been able to start reaching doctors fairly easily?
2: Well, uh, actually, uh, here again, this this is a a process that follows a number of phases. Uh, there was already a significant overlap between uh, the audience that they were already. Covering and the one that we will cover in the future as it relates to Visipa. So that brings uh, that brought a lot of conveniency in setting up or, or using pre existing appointments. Uh, but, uh, you know, in the, in the first stance, and this deployment really uh, uh, started at the very end of the third quarter, uh, it was essentially going through the motions of uh, reorienting their, their plan and their agenda. Uh, and I think that through Q4 there will be a ramp up, and they will get closer to their steady state in terms of uh, of activity. Okay, great.
4: Um, I just missed the, the number of scripts for Vici in Q3. I think you said a number.
2: Um, I don't know if we said the number here. the the the, uh, uh, the scripts that uh, relate to the weekly reported numbers that we showed that chart that we showed here could represent a 24.7, I think 25% increase quarter over quarter. Um, I, I can circle back and give you that exact ratio between one and the other. It's a simple add-on of the data points on the weekly to weekly basis. So uh, 25% might might uh, uh, might be the most reliable thing I can give you today, but we can follow up with the very number.
4: The expense growth. So your expenses were really well contained in Q3. Um, what should we be thinking about in terms of the, the expense right here in Q4?
2: I'll just a, a very quick preface and uh, preface and Tim can can take it from there. Uh, y- you know we we spend uh, promotionally speaking, we spend in a responsible way, meaning that uh, we want the spending to produce a result and uh, in the case of a launch, of course, there are many such uh, spending activities that are fully warranted. There are a few others that can either be deferred or set aside and pursued uh, uh, shortly thereafter when the conditions are better. So that was kind of a set here. We haven't been pulling for any other reasons than than efficiency of the resources uh, in the context of the current restrictions I think we've alluded to July and August being uh, a very soft month from doctor's availability and patient visit standpoint. Um, so it, it was, in certain uh, cases, just a natural result of that, unavailability or inability to spend or just a decision to d- defer by one month right. and, and to uh, engage. So, Tim, you want to say a few more things on that? Uh,
3: uh, Thanks, Gilbert. very um you're, you're, you're quite right um, two of the three months of the quarter are in, the, in the summer and there just just isn't a lot of opportunity to uh, spend ev- effectively um, in terms of you know thinking about where where things would go um, I think if you if you look back at the at the selling and marketing spend that we had in in Q2 that represented when we were able to uh, uh, make good good use of effort behind the, the introduction of the guidelines I would expect something more like that um, uh, going forward, eventually, as the um, Salesforce expansion ramps up, uh, we'll see that add. But again, that's that's you know a reasonable increase, and, and probably not more than a couple million dollars a quarter um, in the foreseeable future.
4: Okay, great. Thank
3: you.
1: Your next question comes from Justin Keywood from Stifel, GMP. Please go ahead.
5: All right. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Just on uh, the Clauseril contribution, uh, the sales were down 4% in the quarter, but uh, in your opening remarks, uh, you mentioned the patients being up 3%. So just wondering if you can provide some additional context on the ordering dynamics there.
2: Yes, uh, most certainly, because uh, uh, there could be an apparent disconnect between a growth in patient and sales that uh, are fluctuating. I can tell you that since the the pandemic began there has been a disruption in the market if you recall at the outset we saw a lot of product loading uh true and actually it, it it's at the root of that chart or an element of that chart that i showed the the very strong q2 2020 and even q3 2020 was essentially uh loading even hoarding at pharma levels uh, so that, of course, uh, did apply to Closrel as it applied to many other drugs. So the duration and the ongoing uncertainty of the pandemic has led to variability and uh, lack, lack of ability to fully match what's happening in the field versus what's happening at the X-Factory level or also at the retail or within the trade uh, segment. So fundamentally... Uh, net sales uh, will follow the trend in patients. Patients have been growing, and that is the fundamental track we believe we are on. Uh, there, there's always some seasonality. There's always some trade inventory adjustment from period to, to period, especially in the context I just described here. And and this year, there's been another factor uh, in that there's been uh, a number of uh, trade consolidations resulting in some. Uh, one-time changes in in demand. Uh, for those that are familiar with that, there's, there's been a merger uh, in Quebec, Metro and Jean uh, and there's been also McKesson, Rexall, uh, Sharper Drug Mart uh, activity here. Those consolidations are uh, inducing additional disruption. They don't change the demand, but they do change the trade consumption pattern, and those consolidations are of a nature to uh, sometimes create, you know, a one-time positive effect or one-time negative effect. So uh, kind of a big soup here with the ins and outs. Uh, we focus on the lead indicator, and that's the patient count. And we know that over a reasonable period of time, all those elements uh, get
5: reconciled. Understood. And are we largely through uh, kind of this un- unusual ordering dynamic? Like, should we have a a more uh, normalized uh Quarter in, in uh, Q4 and beyond, or, or does variability still show up? Tim, you want to comment on that?
3: So I I think I I think so. It, it, the one thing that we 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 don't have visibility is is the timing of trade orders, and and there are some some customers that order infrequently, and so there will always be some variability quarter to quarter. Um, but we are seeing, as Gilbert said, that you know the 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 fundamentals are. We follow the, the growth in patients, and we do, do see that over time, um, the, the product sales follow, follow that and are in, are in line with that. Um, when we start reporting year over year, quarter over quarter, then, then there are some of these dynamics that, 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 can, that can affect that. But the, the, the health of the business does follow um, the patient demand.
1: When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly.
5: And then on public reimbursement for VSEPA, I realize that uh, your comments may be limited, but I'm I'm wondering if uh, the negotiations, uh, just to confirm, is it primarily uh, a pricing uh, situation uh, versus uh, um, the health benefits of VSEPA? Is that the negotiation that's primarily going on right now? Um, Well, you know, this is a... uh
2: kind of a textbook case of social economics, right? There's a new product, the benefit to uh, society, uh, constituents in the provinces, but it's also using public money. And therefore, the negotiation will ultimately, yes, revolve around what what will be the pricing or the cost of accessing or offering access uh, to the product, uh, to the provinces, right? So that that is ultimately, the single most important element that is at, at the center of it. Uh, it doesn't mean that there are no discussions on product value, product uh, benefits uh, from, from a pharmacoeconomic standpoint. These are, of course, all the, the arguments that are discussed and debated at the table. But uh, uh, in the end, a, a, a listing agreement is predicated on terms that are economic in nature.
5: Okay, and then in the opening remarks, um, you mentioned that you, know, you still feel confident about the 18 to 24 month uh, timeline, but it c- could potentially stretch to 30 months. I- I'm just wondering if there's any indication of, uh, you know, what situation could play out if, a- if. We-, we could see something, you know, before the end of the year, or you know, the longer this goes on, does that, you know, suggest that this may be a, a more delayed process? Yeah,
2: I just wanted to reiterate. Our aim is uh, 18 to 24 months, right? I mentioned the 30 months to create up, to, to draw a parallel. Uh, 30, 30 months is not uncommon for many other products that are being discussed, especially if they don't have a unique contribution. We think Visipa has a unique contribution. It's the one and only product in its class. It's a new class of drug, and that's why we think that a shorter time frame uh, is is uh, is a reasonable assumption, and that's been our aim. Uh, as I said, uh, 20 months have elapsed. Uh, there's still four months to go. We'd love to be able to say that it could be next week. It could also be in uh, three months and three weeks. Uh, that that's the uh, uh, just the responsibility that we're taking in being uh, measured in our comments and the fact that. It takes two to tango, right? We're negotiating with, with uh, the PCP across the table. They represent ten provinces. There's great diversities, and uh, uh, that's why it makes it hard to land on a precise time frame. And uh, I think I, I made comments to the effect that uh, you know when when you're you're essentially paving the way to a new class of drug. Uh, we're not writing uh, pre-existing agreements that might have been done. And even though they're confidential, you know, when you're the uh, seventh product in the drug class, the seventh statin coming to market, well, the competitive set is pretty clear, and what provinces are willing to pay uh, is usually brought forward uh, in the discussion. And... uh, it kind of defines boundaries that would otherwise not exist in a case like the SEPA. So uh, sorry for the the, uh, the abundance of details here, uh, even that is a simplification of what is being discussed. But uh, our aim is to fit uh, into that 18 to 24 month time frame. We said that from the first day of our launch, and uh, we're still aiming to get that done in that time frame. Okay, understood.
5: We'll look forward for those updates, and thank you for taking my call. Thank you very much, Justin, for your questions.
1: Your next question comes from Raul, Raul Segreze from HLS. Please go ahead.
6: Hi, good morning, Gilbert. Good morning, Tim. This is Michael Freeman on for uh, for Raul today, um, and thank you very much for taking our questions. Um, I wanted to continue along that thread of uh, public reimbursement. Um, you described, you know, your your aims being universal coverage as as the outcome. And, I, and I'm wondering in what situation would you would you accept the outcome of a of a subset of provinces covering the drug instead of universal coverage, recognizing that's a, a suboptimal. But uh, when I guess in what context would you accept something like that?
2: Good. Well, <clears throat> you, you know, uh there's a point where these these elements may not be of our choice. Uh, when we we say universal coverage, that we we'd love to get to a point where the agreement uh, and the terms discussed are are appealing to all the provinces, so that all the provinces could offer it to their constituents. Uh, there are 10 provinces, and therefore there are 10 vantage points. And sometimes they're close to one another. Sometimes they can be distant. Uh, there you know it's not necessarily of our doing to be able to reconcile them all but the objective is to have a uh set of terms that would agreeable, be agreeable to them all uh now as you know pretty well those 10 provinces are not all equal in in shape and size and 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 also i guess in in their ability to uh to pay for certain things that they might want uh, otherwise so Uh, These are the variables that, uh, uh, you know, are being brought to the table. Uh, We have a position that is predicated on our understanding of the value of our product, and we're bringing to the table also our understanding that, you know, public money needs to be well spent by people that are, uh, uh, you know, custodians of two things – Uh, the public budget, but on the other hand, also the standard of care uh, and access to innovation. So uh, uh, the net of it, Michael, is that we will not control if all 10 provinces or 8 of them or 5 of them are willing to move forward uh, with a set of conditions uh, or if the 10 of them will. Uh, Our aim is clearly to have as broad an agreement as possible um but you know, nobody can force a province to do something that they don't want to do. Uh, in the end that that's their decision, even if there's a set of agreements and and they, they they want to elect into it or uh for the time being out of it, that that would be their decision. Um, but uh, most of the time, you know the, the aim uh, is reached, and uh, the coverage is is rather broad, if not universal.
6: All right, thank you very much for that. Yes, yeah, surely it's a, a volume and pricing optimization exercise. Um, now, uh, on to um, uh, thinking about, you previously described subsidization of the CEPa in order to drive early adoption. And I wonder if these subsidies continue today uh, at, at roughly the same rate that they have previously. And uh, you know, if so, uh, when, when would you expect to taper off these subsid- subsidizations?
4: Good. I uh,
2: I can tell you that about one in three scripts uh, continues to be subsidized. Um, it's a it's a practice that could be long lasting. The, the terms of that subsidization could change over time, as as reimbursement uh, is obtained and takes effect. Uh, it, we're trying to think of it in terms of what the patient is confronted to uh, when a script is written and that script is covered by a private plan, that first script usually has to make it through uh, a bit of an obstacle course, and it's called prior authorization. And that means that the payer will first make sure that this isn't the right indication, and uh, secondly, uh, they'll make sure that, you know, maybe certain tests have been done showing that, yes, targets arise of a certain level, and the patient's indeed on the statin, so that kind of thing. In the meanwhile, the patient that wants to start the therapy may not get coverage, so it could take a month, it could take six weeks, it could take two months. Uh, the shorter the better, but in the meanwhile, uh, it's just good business sense to support the patient, make sure they have access to the product, right? So some of that was intense in the beginning and long, uh, it continues to exist, but the duration of that uh, subsidization is uh, is shorter as we get into the rhythm of those uh, the processing of those claims at the various uh, companies. So, uh, it, it's something that oftentimes companies continue throughout the launch and beyond the launch, and uh, see the the uh, uh, you know the 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 continuation of it. is is something that uh, continues to add on to the normal growth of things Uh, it it would make a lot of sense for us to uh, uh, continue maybe curtail the program to to the specifics of the time but to continue to do that it's when you think about it it's a driving mode it's favoring access it's uh, making sure that you know converting on a prescription isn't delayed or dropped Um, so it's it's a very useful tool for the patient and uh and and one that is uh you know kind of logical in many cases
6: okay great that's really helpful um thank you very much That's all my questions. Good luck uh, as you finish off the year.
2: thank you very much Michael.
1: Your next question comes from David Martin from Bloom Burton Please go ahead
7: uh good morning guys. Uh, First question, um, is prescribing by primary care physicians more dependent on public reimbursement than uh, with specialists? And if that's the case, um, should we temper our expectations of what the, you know, it's a big addition you're adding to the sales force with Pfizer. Um, Should we temper our expectations prior to getting the public reimbursement?
2: Uh, good morning, uh, David. That's a very good question, really at the heart of uh, some of the things we're doing uh, and modifying over time. Uh, typically, the, uh, you know, the audience that we're calling on at any given point in time is defined along certain parameters. One of those parameters, and I think understandably you'll see who's prescribing statins, because statin is a condition. We're an add-on to a statin. So uh, uh, we try to understand who's prescribing statins, and that defines, to a certain extent, uh, the people they are treating. Uh, There are also uh, uh, parameters that allow us to target or favor a bit more uh, what appears to be a uh, publicly a privately covered clientele versus a publicly covered clientele, uh, so those those are kind of social demographics uh, and and uh, it would be only logical for us to to favor while we're not private publicly covered to favor those privately covered uh, uh, patients by selecting doctors that are uh, catering more to their needs. right? This is not a perfect science. This also means that you know sometimes we could say, well, at the that about you know x percent of their practice could be more private than public and and that could be an element in the way we define the uh, the audience we're calling on and Of course, as the reimbursement uh and formulary listing evolve, we can adjust that and then roll in uh, additional doctors um I'll make a last comment, and that is related to uh, the indication. You know, we're indicated in uh, patients with established cardiovascular disease uh, and also with uh, patients that have uh, diabetes. Uh, All of them should be taking a statin. All of them should have uh, triglycerides of a certain level and or risk factors. But uh, I think most people understand that uh, the diabetes indication skews a bit, a bit younger, and the established cardiovascular disease indication skews a bit older, which is you know, likely to be also reconciled with uh, younger active population, privately covered, uh, and established cardiovascular disease would have proportionally a bit more of uh, people that are, are somewhat older, and uh, it could be, for more of them, publicly covered.
7: Um, it, have you seen a tick up in prescriptions and prescribing doctors, say, in the second half of October, that you can tie back to uh, the addition of the Pfizer sales force?
2: Uh, I'm going to hold on, on on commenting on the the October uh, trench here or or try to, to connect some dots uh, you know the deployment took place in the back end, the very back end of September, and therefore in October, uh, you know many doctors were called upon for a first time, and the introduction of their role in in, in the Vespa uh, detailing was essentially uh, the subject of those first calls. So it would be a little a little premature. We do hope uh, to to comment. And, and uh, make that connection when we will comment on the fourth quarter. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, you know, augmenting the audience by such uh, a number of fold and uh, uh, the, the, the number of calls accordingly uh, should normally uh, translate. I think that to, uh, to extrapolate, you know, the date on October, we're, we're November 3rd, I think. So uh the data on October uh is only essentially for the first or the second week available. So it, it would would truly be uh, premature to try to to uh uh create a cause and effect relationship, but we expect to see one during the fourth quarter.
7: Got it. Um just on the PCPA negotiations. Um, Could the outcome of that impact um, reimbursement levels with private insurers, or are they completely disconnected?
2: They're usually completely disconnected. Uh, They're all confidential negotiations, right? So those terms are are usually uh, confidential uh, for reasons that are uh, uh, different but good for both sides uh it's always competitively sensitive and and uh you know provinces uh you know want those elements to be confidential so that that's been the rule uh, it's not a pcpa thing only it's been the rule for as long as i've been in this industry uh you know rebit agreements are typically always confidential
7: and my last question is um The PMPRB regulations are going to be changing. Has that slowed the negotiations in any way or would you, I know it's a new drug, but would you say it's been normal course negotiation or has anything like PMPRB regulations uh, impacted?
2: Uh, I would say zero effect of the PMPRB regulations. We we fit uh, under uh, a category of drugs that uh, will not be subject to most of the changes that will take effect, or the changes of importance that will take effect. We, uh, we essentially gain our, our approval at the point in time, and we got our din at the point in time that uh, puts us in that, that uh, shielded category. Uh, having said that, it's clear that, you know, it's more the pandemic that has been slowing things down for the PCPA in particular, um, and that's why, you know, number of cases and negotiations at the PCPA are, are higher than
5: than they were pre-pandemic. It,
7: okay, thank you.
2: You're welcome, David.
5: Your
1: next question comes from Chelsea Stelic from IE Capital. Please go ahead. Hello, good morning. Um, I just have a couple of questions.
0: Most of them were, were already addressed, but um, I guess um, would you say that you still reiterate your peak sales for Vizipa at this point? And, and sort of furthermore, uh, do you think that the effects of, you know, if the effects of the pandemic will never fully go away, would this peak sales estimate remain the same?
2: Good morning, uh, Chelsea. Thank you for your question. Uh, so clear, yes. Uh, we We haven't changed anything with respect to our peak sale uh, potential. Uh, We don't see how the pandemic changes the need. We see the pandemic right now influencing the way people can address the need uh, in many ways, right? Doctor visits, of course. Uh, Our ability to call on doctors uh, slows us down. And also, as we just talked, you know, negotiations providing market access has been slowed down. But the need is the same. I think that uh, you know humans adapt. We're adapting. Everybody's adapting. Uh, we 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 have you know anecdotal evidence of doctors saying, well, you know this this is the new normal. Life life has to go on, and uh, uh, eventually we find a way to to conduct our business. So uh, uh, as far as we're concerned, there's no change in our view on the peak here, so. Okay,
0: it's no um i guess sort of high level questions um i know you mentioned uh 56 or so percent of physician visits were face-to-face in july do you have any um stats on where we are now in, in november late october kind of? uh i
2: i will i may have to follow up uh with you on that uh after the call we we do get market research uh, uh, information periodically. I don't know if this would apply to November. It would certainly apply to September and maybe part of, uh, of October. And uh, you know what, what we're, tr- we're tracking has uh, a number of dimensions. I think we've alluded to some of that in the script. Um, everything gets we try to measure everything versus the pre-pandemic era. Um, And uh, I would say that, you know, the ability to see doctors is definitely still (laughs) lower, probably at least 30 percent lower than it used to be. Uh, The nature of those calls is different. There are definitely fewer face to face. Typically, 70 uh, percent versus pre-pandemic in the number of calls that we can do. Uh, typically, in a huge generalization, but at least the, the math and the averages of, uh, uh, are, are correct. We're talking about 40% of those calls being face-to-face. Um, and, and uh, you know, the other part relates to the patient-physician part of things, and that's where the number, I think the 56% number you were alluding to, uh, comes into the picture again. Right? So doctors um, are still struggling to see their 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 patients at pre-pandemic rates and levels. And uh, the other element here again, extracted from reliable market research, um, doctors are are not.
5: Uh, re- Operator, is the call still underway?
1: Yes, the call is still in effect right now.
5: I'm just going to see where Mr. Godin is. I do apologize for any inconvenience. Just one moment, we're just waiting on Mr. Goodass. Well, while we're doing that, um, Chelsea, did you want to proceed with your next question? Uh, yeah, sure,
0: I guess. Um. um so I guess uh you said fifty one CSAN Pronto devices have been now deployed. Is there a goal or is you know, some sort of guidance on, on, on these devices that we can see in the next quarter or so?
3: Yeah. Um just to provide a little bit of color on that, I think when Jill mentioned that, um he mentioned that also, you know, this um was kind of a, a return to seeing some of those deployments at uh larger institutions. So, larger mental health-oriented hospitals or or larger centers; Um, those were places where that we were originally intending to go to first, but um, we we essentially were unable to get in there during the the early part of the pandemic. And it's great to see that we're Mm -hmm. now being able to um, make progress on those. And so, I think that. you know, it's it's a it's an important distinction that uh, the ones that we're adding now are probably much larger in impact on the market, and so um, you know even even if the number of institutions uh, is a is a, a, a modest number, it's probably a more significant um, deployment. That said, um, in terms of where we're mm-hmm. at, we're probably still early days, and so there there's you know w- well more ahead of us than what what we've done so far on the deployment. Okay.
2: Great. Good morning, Jibao. Yeah, that, I'm I'm sorry. I, I uh, I'm back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a good, good job of answering the question while you were away. So <laughs> um,
5: good.
3: Yeah. Technology Thank is you. wonderful, especially when it works.
5: <laughs> Absolutely. Fantastic. Next, Thank you, Chelsea. Your next question
1: comes from Tanya Gonzalez from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead.
0: Good morning, gentlemen. I think most of my questions have been asked here, so just a couple for me. Um, following up kind of on Chelsea's line of thinking, on the peak sales estimate, I understand why you wouldn't change the actual peak sales guidance, but with like a year and a half now of muted uh, deployment potential, should we be thinking about pushing out our, uh, our timeline for when we reach that peak sales? I, I don't think you've changed your deck yet, but Uh, Wondering if 2025 is still a reasonable
2: estimate? Uh, Thank you. Good morning, uh, Tanya. It's a good question, and, uh, you know, it certainly has a bit of a crystal ball uh, element to it. Uh, You know, we're we're confident in peak year sales because it's predicated in what we think the standard of care will become and previous examples with statins and so on. Having said that, the timing is, of course, uh, kind of a delicate exercise, how, how do we land there? We've been talking abundantly in the last quarter or two of that inflection curve, You know that inflection point that puts the product on a different path and we've used analogs to illustrate that. And you know, the analog was just to show that when it takes off, it's a, a pretty steep climb, right? And what would otherwise seem inconceivable becomes very real. And, and, and demonstrated. So, in our case, uh, some of the things we discussed this morning are directly related to that inflection point, the time, it will, the time at which it will happen, and the steepness of it will become apparent. So, I think these are the elements that we would probably uh, use uh, uh, to determine if, you know, is it going to happen by the end of 25 or will that slip it to 26. Uh I think we'll have to reserve our judgment. Uh the one thing we try not to do is to you know do to be so sensitive out of extreme caution and, and to you know change those parameters all the time. We will change them if we have uh a signal that is pointing to that. And if the signal says, you know, we still think that twenty five is a good time frame. Uh, we'll do that. Uh, we're not quite there yet. Uh, <laughs> apologize for kind of uh, beating around the bush on this one, but the fact is that, uh, you know, uh, I don't think that bravado saying "of course we'll be there" or or just hedging by saying it'll be delayed uh, would be genuine. We're we're we'll wait. We have a few seminal events uh, in in the making here that will give us a shot at that. Okay be patient and wait <laughs> um, and Thank you.
0: I, I think you guys have already talked to this a little bit already but that marketing and sales line you um, mentioned it should revert to more normalized levels in Q4 will there be any outsized contribution from the Pfizer like uh, as part of the Pfizer agreement any one-time costs in that line item that we should be forecasting to comment Tim yeah it
3: it's a it's a good question. I I think it it kind of does um highlight in some respects how how expanding our coverage in this way has kind of de-risked that expansion for us from a financial standpoint. Um the the short answer is no there isn't. And so um when you when you think of if we were doing this ourselves there'd be a lot of upfront costs related to recruiting and staffing and training. Um, and then the original deployment. Um, whereas that, that's really not the case, what we'll see is we'll see a gradual ramp as the activities uh, ramp up. And, um, and so so it, it won't be have that, um, that blip, if you will.
0: Perfect. Um, on uh, This is a little bit non-material at this point, but I'm wondering if you can provide an update on Trinomia. I know there was an ongoing
2: study we were waiting for
0: data from before resubmitting. Do you have a, a timeline estimate for when we might get that?
2: Uh, general timeline, yes. Uh, we're still in the waiting phase uh, because the uh, I think the remarks uh, we obtained from Health Canada were uh, requiring that we, we use and report on an ongoing trial. It's a Spanish independent ongoing Spanish trial uh and i think that trial is uh, scheduled to conclude you know very near time uh we we heard and understood end of year uh, so hopefully uh communication of those results will be available and uh, once we will we'll have had a chance to complete a review of that data from the ongoing spanish trial uh and that we are in a position to determine the regulatory path forward in other words how well this does indeed address some of the questions requested or or deficiencies identified by by Health Canada. Uh, It it could easily be, you know, uh, we're talking here, if study results are available to us before the end of the year, uh, you know, we we could be able to make that determination in the following three or four quarters and and provide that answer. So uh, I think in in terms of trinomia, to think of uh, a resolution, a favorable resolution in less than a year would be optimistic. Um, I think that, that that's pretty much, you know, the terms and the sequence of event uh, that we're contemplating. All
0: right, that's very helpful, thank you. Um, and then last one for me, your, your balance sheet continues to be in really good shape. Uh, I don't think you've provided this in a while, but could you give us any um, color on in the M&A outlook? Are you are you looking at uh, things north of the border, across south of the border, right now? Um, with SIPA with a launch delayed, and you not maybe not as busy as originally expected, um, is there more potential to execute on on M&A deals?
2: Yes, uh, I'm, I'm not going to bring in the pandemic, but it's clear that it's a factor that's been. Uh, 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 holding uh, certain developments that could probably have have occurred otherwise. Uh, just as a preamble, I want to state that we've seen some recent activity in the spec pharma space in the last couple of months. There were two fairly uh, visible material transactions. Uh, we have been on a continuous active lookout through 2021 with two aims. One of them is augmenting uh, the existing, right? The CNS and the CV cardiovascular portfolio with products that would be commercial stage, that's easier said than done, or uh, option to license uh, products that would be complement, just like we did with, uh, with uh, Perceris and, uh, and MyCare. And secondly, uh, we're looking uh, for U.S. commercial platform. I think we talked about that before. That platform uh, could be equal in size and in potential to what we have in the Canadian territory. Um, that's because we think that scale matters in our industry. Uh, it's a way to uh, uh, get more visibility. It's a way to diversify the stream of revenues. It's a second axis of growth. Um, and and. Uh, you know, of course, uh, it needs to be done in a way that is uh, uh, bearing in mind the fact that we have a very potent asset in our hands today, uh, and that is Visipa. So uh, it's not just about combining for combining and gaining scale. It's about finding something that would be uh, uh, accretive in in the broad sense and and would continue to be more of the same in terms of uh, you know, excitement and and promise of of, uh, future value creation. So the deal flow continues to be abundant, but requires discernment. This truly is a a labor of love, but also a nutrition process. That's the nature of the beast. Uh, We've earned until now the reputation of being careful stewards of shareholder capital. Uh, We would only pull the trigger if the operational and the financial criteria would make sense uh, we certainly wouldn't do anything to distract the team from the opportunity that the CIPA is. And uh, we're looking, there's at least, you know, five therapeutic areas that uh, would would be a good fit for us. And they're not the same in the U.S. that it would be in Canada. So, uh, you know, that's kind of a long, convoluted answer. Uh, and, you know, when these things happen, they seem to, to come out of nowhere. Uh, the fact is that, uh, you know, it's a, always a very intense uh research, process of analysis and attrition. And typically you, you turn, you know, you turn twenty stones to find one that is worth uh pursuing and once in a while those that you pursue fully materialize.
1: Understood. That's very helpful. Thank you, Gilbert. That's all for me.
2: Thank you very much, Tanya.
1: There are no more further questions. Mr. Goodin, you may proceed.
2: Well, uh, thank you very much, Kelsey, and uh, thank you all for participating on today's call. We look forward to reporting to you on our progress uh, throughout the year. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines.